Right. Good evening. Let's all stand and we'll look at page 188. He lives. Let's all stand. Everybody sing out. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. At just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see His loving lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He Page 345. <clears throat> Living below in this old sinful world, and hardly a comfort can.
any tithes and offerings that you need to <clears throat> give tonight you can come give it at this time and uh, the study sheets are here on the table up tonight I pulled a couple of bills out of my wallet and put the bills on the pulpit and almost threw my wallet in the offering plate it gets like that when you get my age y'all wait y'all get as old as me amen y'all in trouble amen it is good to see all of you tonight we appreciate you coming and being a part of the service pray that God bless you while we're here uh, gathered together I've got a, a card I wanted to read from it's from Brother Keith Shoemaker and his family. 
says, Dear Pastor and Mrs. Dale and Church, says, Thank y'all so much for having us in Sunday night service. As always, you were such a blessing to us. Thank you for allowing us to share with you and for the generous love offering and meal after the service. Fellowship was wonderful. We appreciate your friendship and partnership in the ministry over so many years. May God continue to bless you all. We love and appreciate you, Shoemaker. And I, I love Brother Keith Shoemaker and his family. Appreciate his heart for the Lord. And I always get something out of his preaching when he comes by and preaches for us. Lesson. I had a phone call from a preacher today, and uh, I forgot my phone. I didn't, I was not able to catch his call. I was on the phone with another preacher at the, when he tried to call, but he left me a voicemail. And uh, I guess this is just the order of the Lord. I, like I say, I meant to bring my phone tonight. I was going to play you his voicemail. Such a blessing, but I'll save it for this coming Sunday morning so the whole church can hear it. Uh, just a great testimony of what the Lord has done. You'll learn more about that when this coming Sunday when I play that for you. Such a blessing. Uh, as far as announcements go, this coming Saturday at 10 o'clock, we will be having a church work day, and, uh, and uh, we need to work over there in the fellowship hall. So if you can, please meet us here at 10 o'clock this coming Saturday. And I had mentioned to the church this past Sunday night that we're, Lord's put it on our heart to lead the church into a church fast. We used to do this years ago, and I guess probably for 15 years or so right at it, we, every year at the beginning of the year, we would have a three-day church fast together. And the way that we did it is we would begin it on a Thursday, and uh, that Thursday, that particular Thursday, our last meal together would be at lunchtime that day. And uh, wherever you were, you eat your uh, lunch that Thursday. That would be your last meal if you enter into the fast with us. And then we fast together, and then we would break our fast together uh, the following Sunday. We would all bring food together, and uh, we would break our fast together after morning service. But uh, this year, what we're going to be doing, the Lord has uh, just spoke to my heart about it and settled my heart that our church needed to enter into a fast together. And uh, not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on fasting so that you'll better understand what it really means to fast. Well, there's a lot of misconceptions about fasting and the purpose of it and things like that. But anyway, what we're going to do is on the 6th, of October. Uh, that'll be on a Thursday. We'll do the same way on that, that Thursday. Lunchtime will be our last meal uh, together. And then we'll break our fast that following Sunday. And it just so happens on that'll be the ninth on that particular Sunday. I did not realize this, but y'all are having a pastor appreciation day. And they've already got some food going to be catered in and uh, some meat, and so all they're going to ask is that you bring some sides that'll go along with barbecue, and we're going to break our fast together that Sunday on, on October the 9th. So remember these dates, and, and like I say, I'll, I'll explain fasting a little bit more in detail to you. Some people think, oh no, I've got to fast all that time, 
and not eat anything. Well, there's different types of fasting, and I'll explain all of that on that Sunday that I preach on it so so that you'll better understand. I've, we used to, when we did it every year, I had people say, well, uh, I remember one lady, she was very much pregnant, and she could not enter into a fast, and she said, I'll be fasting from my TV that whole time. And she did. She she fasted from her TV and uh, just refused to watch any TV during those three days. And, and so that was how she entered into a fast with us. So anyway, that's just some things that we got going on here at the church. And uh, as far as prayer requests go, we uh, got a text early this morning and Brother Terry Ransom wound up in the, in the emergency room last night, our song leader. And uh, and they, they uh, had him there, and Debbie and I went up there. It was probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock this morning. And that hospital is so packed, they had him in the basement in the hallway, on a, on a cot there in the hallway. And uh, Sister Ashley, y'all very busy up there right now. But anyway, Brother Terry, they, they test him for some heart issues. It was not his heart. and uh, they. I don't know what they're going to do from here, but they did. he did go home. But we do need to pray for Brother Terry. We need to pray for Randy Brooks. We need to pray for Tabitha Howard, uh, Jennifer Sykes, a preacher friend of mine, Brother Jeff Kaler, Josh Bennett, and Michael Henson. How about your prayer request tonight? Anybody on your hearts that we need to pray about? Luke? Anything else on anybody's heart tonight? Anything else on anyone's heart? Well, I know we all need prayer, and uh, these these that we've named tonight, the Lord knows exactly what they need done in their lives. Let's come in faithfulness to the Lord to pray tonight. Let's pray together, asking God's blessings upon these names.
anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. Tempest may sweep all oh, the wide stormy deep in Jesus. I'm safe evermore. I like this second one. I yielded myself to his tender embrace and faith taking hold of the word. My fetters fell and I anchored my soul. The haven of rest is my Lord. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no tempest may sweep all oh, the wild stormy deep in Jesus I'm safe evermore amen love that song the haven of rest amen all right let's take our study sheets together tonight Trouble has just entered the building. Oh, that's Melinda. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Y'all know why my hair's gray and falling out? <laughs> All right, we're in Acts chapter two in this in this part of our study. And uh, we've gone through the opening dialogue of the first 13 verses of Acts 2. We learned some things about tongues and their use and, and what all was going on, what exactly what was going on in Acts chapter 2. Peter got up and began uh, speaking, or the disciples were actually speaking, and they were speaking in their native tongue, and every person there, probably about 17 different dialects of languages, they were present, but they heard every one of them in their own language what the disciples were saying in their native tongue. And tongues, according to the Word of God, is a language. They are a language. And uh, it's no, nothing mysterious about it. It's just simply God's way of communicating the gospel to those that need to hear it. And God used it in that fashion in the very beginning of the church. Another great thing that happened in Acts chapter 2, the very beginning of the chapter, is that the church was born into the world. And uh, so now we're going to pick up, we're going to begin actually in verse number 14, where Peter, on the day of Pentecost, becomes the main preacher, and he preaches a tremendous message to all of those that are in attendance. 
Now, I, I don't know exactly how many were there, but it had to be a huge crowd because 3,000 people get saved at one time during that meeting. That's a lot of people to get saved. And, uh, and there, there must have been thousands of people there. And so Peter is going to stand up and he's going to begin preaching. And uh, he's going to say some things. He's going to explain some things through his message. And I hope that this study is going to help you better understand what Peter is doing in this, in this course of, of verses. There's still a lot of misunderstanding of exactly what Peter is saying in these verses, and I hope that this study will help you better understand it. Um, so let's look at our study sheet together. We're going to pray, and then we're going to look together and go through these uh, verses together. Father, tonight, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for loving us the way you do, and I thank you for those that are here tonight, Lord, to study the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that, Lord, we might understand the wonderful truths of the Scriptures tonight. God, touch us all, be with us all, those that's on our prayer list. I pray, Father, that, God, you'd minister to them. You know exactly what the issue is with every one of them, and, Lord, we're asking you, Father, Please meet the needs that those names represent. And God, please just touch them in a special way. We love you tonight. We thank you for loving us and caring for us the way you do. Add your favor to this time as we get ourselves around the good word of God now. In Jesus Christ's name, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. Let's look at our study sheet together tonight now. The church that Jesus Christ spoke about in Matthew 16, 18 has now become a reality in the world. The world will never be the same. It is unclear if the disciples realized what was happening on this monumental day of Pentecost, but the disciples were experiencing something they had never experienced before. These common men were now endued with a power that far exceeded the power given to them at the outset of their ministry. When they first began, they were to minister only to the Jewish population and the power given them was manifested only through physical means. We read about this in Matthew 10, verses 5 through 8. It said, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. That's how these men began their ministry. Now, these men were realizing a power from above that enabled them to preach to whosoever the wonderful truths of Jesus Christ. This power was different in that if believed, it will forever change an individual's life from within rather than manifested only through a physical change. The audience attending this first gospel meeting in Jerusalem was huge, and it was made possible from the influx of various Jewish families who had traveled great distances to attend their Feast of Pentecost during this time. Acts 2 records for us the events that happened on that day and the days following as the church began to grow. First, let's consider in verses 14 through 21, Peter's message. 
the first two verses of that, that passage, it says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. It is interesting to watch Peter boldly stand on this occasion. Fifty days earlier, he was denying that he knew Jesus Christ and bitterly weeping about it. Now he boldly stands and is the main preacher during this day that changed the world. He calls on every person to listen to what he has to say and informs them that no one there is drunk as they had supposed. It is only nine o'clock in the morning and way too early for all of them to be inebriated. It is not without significance, though, that those who were under the influence of the Spirit of God were thought to be drunken. The Bible parallels the two extremes to draw a comparison. We read about this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, where the Word of God reads like this. It says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. A person under the influence of alcohol will manifest his condition by the way he talks and the way he walks. His walk will be staggered. His speech will be slurred. And anyone noticing the individual will know something other than normal is occurring. On the other hand, someone under the influence of the Spirit of God will certainly walk and talk differently. They will be led and seen as Christ-like in their demeanor. That is what these men who were mocking the disciples are witnessing, and it had never been manifested before in this manner. Peter is about to explain to all of them what is actually happening. Then he goes on, beginning verse 16 through 21. Listen to what Peter says. He said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and all my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now I want to say before we go into the explanation of all that, that none of those things happened during that time. The moon was not turned into blood, and the sun uh, didn't do what all that this set turned into darkness. None of that happened at this given time. Peter is using this illustration out of Joel to explain something even deeper than what the text of Joel says. Peter uses a passage from the Old Testament book of Joel, and you can go back and read this in Joel 2, 28 through 32, to explain to these men that what they are witnessing is not of man. 
He is not necessarily telling them that what they're witnessing is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, but rather emphasizing how the Spirit of God will change any person of any age and any gender. We know this interpretation to be true because the prophecy referenced will be fulfilled during the time of Christ's second coming, which Peter explains in verse 20 when he notes about the great before the great and notable day of the Lord come, talking about the second coming. Also, Peter emphasizes part of Joel's prophecy in the very last verse of that uh, quote to call their attention to their need of salvation. Don't forget that these disciples, this is important to remember, don't forget that these disciples are still speaking in their native tongues And every man listening is hearing them speak in their different foreign languages. The Spirit of God is not only working through the disciples, but is also working on the lost Jewish people who are plainly hearing the message of Peter. Then verses 22 through 24, let's consider the people who are listening. It says, Ye men of Israel, Peter says, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Boy, Peter's a different man now. He's not cowering behind a a fire. He's not, he's not running and, and weeping bitterly. He's boldly standing. Think about it. He's probably, there may be 10,000 people gathered there at this, at this gospel meeting. And Peter's looking at every one of them. Now remember, some of these people in that crowd were there that day that they gathered together and said, crucify him, crucify him. And he's looking at them and says, you are the ones by your wicked hands taken and crucified Jesus Christ. Man, you talking about holy boldness. Peter knew God was with him and he was not scared to open his mouth. He said, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Now Peter gets to the most important part of his sermon, the gospel. He directly addresses the ones he is speaking to in order to emphasize their involvement and inclusion in the life of Jesus Christ. They were the ones guilty of crucifying Jesus Christ. No doubt, some of them were personally involved in the crucifixion of Christ, but he applies it to every person present. Ye men of Israel, listen to me, Peter says. All of them were guilty and involved in the death of Jesus Christ. Can I carry it a little bit further than that? Every one of us are guilty of the death of Jesus Christ also, because he died for our sins. This is the whole emphasis of the gospel message becoming personal. Peter is speaking to a multitude of people and presenting the truth of personal accountability to them all. Some will get it, some won't. The same thing happens today. Someone will witness the gospel message to a group of people and some there will understand their guilt by understanding their sins 
are the reason Christ was crucified. As Peter wrote later in one of his epistles in 1 Peter 3.18, he said, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Then Peter presents the good news of the gospel in verse 24, when he says these words, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. This same Jesus, who died, is now alive. He conquered death because death could not hold him in its clutches. Death had passed upon all men, but Jesus Christ conquered what no man had ever been able to overcome. All men must die if Jesus tarries. Death is the wages of sin. You know why we die? Not because we get a disease. Not because we have a heart attack. We die because we are sinners by nature. The Bible says it like this in Romans 5.12. It said, Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. Remember God telling Adam and Eve in the garden? In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There's a great mystery happened that day. Eve took of that tree. She ate of it. Did she die that day? Did she die a physical death? No. Adam took with her and he did eat. Did he die a physical death that day? No. But they both died a spiritual death and it was proven uh, later on they did die. A physical death. Death, physical death, is the, is the sentence upon our sin. We all carry that sentence of death in our flesh. But Jesus Christ overcame death at His resurrection. Now, anyone in Christ will also overcome the power of death at the resurrection of the saints. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 54, I love these verses. He said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's what the Bible calls a Christian who has, who has died. They're just, their body is asleep. Notice what he says, But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, our bodies must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Why is that, why is that made possible? Because Jesus Christ conquered death in that grave. Hallelujah, what a glory. Woo, I'm about to get happy just thinking about it. Now, verses 25 through 32, let's consider the patriarch referenced. He says this, For David, Peter's still preaching now, he says, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, 
for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, shall my flesh rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we all are witnesses. Peter further applies references from the Old Testament. Remember, he he used the book of Joel. Now he's using some of the Psalms. Now Peter further applies references from the Old Testament and and he's using Psalm 16 to fully explain who Jesus is. All through the Psalms, David and other writers would write in the first person, but the inspired words would explain or be an expression of something concerning Jesus. For example, when David wrote the words of Psalm 22, he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what Jesus Christ would experience as he hung on Calvary. Notice these words out of Psalms 22. And if you have a Bible where it's got a little heading at the beginning of each psalm, this is what you'll read. A psalm of David. So David's writing this psalm and he'll write, and as you read it, you would think David is talking about himself. But watch this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Have you ever read those words before in the Word of God? In the Gospels, you've read it when Jesus Christ hung on the cross of Calvary. He said those exact same words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But here's David writing those words in Psalms 22. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? But I am a worm, and no man a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All that they see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Look at this. They part my raiment. David writing this psalm now. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. You ever read about that happening in the word of God? That's what happened to Jesus Christ as he was hanging on Calvary's cross. So Psalms 22, the entire psalm is about Jesus when he hung on Calvary. Even though David was writing about himself, it was inspired about Jesus Christ. The men listening to Peter did not have the advantage that we do today with a completed New Testament. They did not have the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John to explain all that happened in the life of Jesus Christ. So, he explains that what David was writing about in Psalm 16 applied to the life of Jesus Christ and not David. 
even though David was writing about himself, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his writing was a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Peter emphasizes the fact that the body of Jesus Christ did not see corruption. How, how many days was the body of Jesus Christ dead? Three days. Three days. And not one ounce of corruption ever entered the body of Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Because he was sinless. That's why no corruption could enter into the body of Jesus Christ. Peter emphasizes the fact that the body of Jesus Christ did not see corruption and he victoriously rose from the dead. Not only did he rise from the dead, but now Jesus is also sitting on the throne in heaven. This leads Peter to boldly announce who Jesus Christ is as he closes out his sermon in verses 33 through 36. And we'll consider now the promise of the Holy Spirit. It says it like this, Therefore, Peter continues, being by the right hand of God exalted, talking about Jesus Christ, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which he now see and hear. What they were experiencing that day on the day of Pentecost, now he's explaining, this is what you're seeing happen. For David is not yet ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter proclaims that what they were, are now witnessing, they're speaking in tongues, and them understanding it, is proof that Jesus Christ is the exalted one sitting in the heavens as Lord and Christ. What does it mean that Jesus is both Lord and Christ? This Jewish audience knew exactly what that meant. When Peter calls Jesus Lord, he assures them that Jesus Christ is God. The word Lord used in this passage literally means supreme in authority, master, and controller. No one else but God holds that place or authority. And when Peter calls Jesus Christ, he is announcing that He is the Messiah of the Jewish nation, nation, the one who was promised to come and deliver them. Their God and their Messiah, that is who they have crucified. Jesus is the one who was delivered under the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Nothing could be clearer than what they have just heard. Jesus Christ was given into their sinful hands, and He was none other than their God and their Messiah. What did they do with Him? They crucified Him. The only perfect being who ever walked on this earth, and we crucified Him. That is what we thought of Jesus Christ. That is how sinful we are. That is how wicked a sinful heart is. Given the opportunity, that is how far our wicked hearts would carry us. No wonder Jeremiah wrote these words in Jeremiah 17, 9, and 10. The heart 
is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And a question is asked, who can know it? Then it's answered, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. The only one who truly knows the depths of our depraved hearts is Jesus Christ. It was our sinful hearts that drove the nails in his hands and feet. It was our wicked hearts that shouted, crucify him. And yet he loved us so much, he was willing to surrender himself to our wickedness. And without saying a word, he allowed us to crucify him. He could have stopped it before one lash was laid on his back. Yet he willingly and lovingly accepted our punishment. He knew it was the only way we could be saved. You have never known true love until you have accepted and experienced the love of Jesus Christ. He took the punishment your sinfulness deserved. That is called mercy. Then he gave you what you did not deserve, his forgiveness. He forgives us for crucifying Him. And that is called grace. His love does not demand anything from us. He gives it us freely. The salvation Jesus Christ secured on our behalf. We ought to take a moment and just run around the building and shout a while. We're up under grace. Hallelujah. Thank God He loved us that much. Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9 says these words, Though He, Jesus, was a son, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered. And being made perfect, He became the author, look at this, of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. Now we're going to lastly consider the pricking of the hearts in verses 37 through 40. We read these words. Now when they had heard this, what Peter was preaching. Remember, he's preaching in Aramaic. These people that are, are standing in front of him, gathered around him, they're of different backgrounds, different foreign languages. They're all hearing exactly what we just read. Peter is, is talking in tongues to them. But the Holy Spirit is interpreting it. They're understanding every word that Peter said to them. Then he said this. Then now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the, the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. What this group of people just heard brought such conviction. They wanted to know what they needed to do. The passage uses the expression pricked in their heart. That is what the old-timers would call conviction. The word prick means to be pierced thoroughly, to agitate violently, to sting to the quick. What they had heard Peter preach got to the heart of the matter, which was their hearts. God and Peter were working together 
to convict and convince this group of religious Jewish people, and the job was successful. They wanted to know what they needed to do now that they knew of their guilt. This is the most critical time of any gospel meeting. The moment someone is pressed in their heart by the Holy Ghost to decide and obey the gospel is the time when someone's eternity is being weighed in the balance. The fate of those who decide not to heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit places themselves on the ground of eternal damnation. 1 Peter 4 verse 17, powerful words, a question is asked. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 answers that question for us. Talking about when Jesus comes back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. As someone once said, not to decide is to decide not to. Many believe if they simply don't do anything, they will not be held accountable. But the truth of the matter is that for someone to determine not to believe the gospel is to make their decision against Jesus Christ. They refuse to accept Jesus Christ. But if someone responds favorably, as these people did in our text, the invitation will be clear and the outcome will be eternal life as one of God's sons. John 1.12 says it like this, But to as many as received Him, Jesus, to them, those that received Him, gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Every person who responds in obedience the gospel invitation is promised that Jesus will not refuse him nor ever cast him away. We read about this in John 6, verse 37 through 39. Jesus said these words, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. That's eternal security right there. You can shout right there. You can say amen right there. Glory to God right there. It goes right there at the end of that passage. This was the first sermon ever preached by the church. Peter was the chosen messenger, and what a powerful message he delivered. He had compared what these men had done with Christ to what God had done with him. They crucified him, but God had crowned him. They had executed him, but God had exalted him. They had pierced his hands, but God had placed him on the throne. That is the decision we must make. Will you choose to do the same with Jesus Christ as God has already done with Him? Will you receive Him as He is? He is the Lord and Christ. No one else holds that rank or position. Every person will eventually believe 
and confess this amazing truth about Jesus Christ, whether they believe it now or not. We read about that in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. We read these words, Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, not Buddha, not at the name of Confucius, not at the name of Muhammad, but at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. I'm glad I've already confessed Him as my Lord and my Savior. Have you done that? If you've not done that, you can do that tonight. You can confess Him. You can call upon Him. He'll save whosoever. That's a promise of God Almighty. Amen. Now, I want to say this in closing. These last few verses out of, out of Acts 2 that we just covered, verses 37 through verse 40, there's a lot of confusion about these verses. Next Wednesday night, we're going to pick up with those same verses. There's a lot there that we're going to go back through. And I'm going to explain some things to you so you'll better understand. Because Peter is asked, what should we do? You know what he tells them? Repent, not believe on Jesus Christ. He says, repent, be baptized. Ooh, that creates a problem. We're going to understand better next Wednesday night why Peter said what he said. Amen. I'll leave you hanging right there. Amen.